Hello and welcome to an informed life radio and 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and I'm so glad to be with you this evening. We've got a lot of amazing things to report and a great guest. Um, I want to first thank the generous donors of um, Informed Choice Washington, who bring you this uh, programming two hours every week, no commercials, you know, it's just programming for and by the people. And I want to thank Children's Health Defense because they also help make this possible, um, you know, bringing people the information that they need. I want to welcome on the show, first of all, my uh, co host, Javier Figueroa, who is coming to us from Washington State. Hello, Hello, Javier. And, Hello, and you're, Bernadette. It's so good to see you. I love you in your, your blue shirt and tie. <laughs> Looking good here. Well, you know, for the radio audience, they can't see. Just, <laughs> he, he's a handsome fella and he's all dressed up tonight. Well, so I have a face for radio, so it, it works out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you do. You got it for TV, too. And uh, so, you know, let, let's go ahead and, and bring on our first guest. His name is Rob Anderson, and he's down in Clark County, Washington. I'm almost all the way down to Oregon. We're First of all, hey, Rob, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. We're, you know, we're glad to talk to you. This is actually the first time, you know, uh, that I've ever talked to you. So yeah, like back room before the radio show started. But um, I've been hearing great things about what you and your group is doing down in Clark County. Um, Before you tell us that, Rob, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, who were you pre COVID? (laughs) And what did you start to see that kind of changed the course of your life? Boy, great, great question. And thanks for having me on. So, so before COVID, I was a mild mannered, um, what I called a recovering pastor, where I had been in ministry, gone through Bible college, and uh, just stepped out of uh, working with a actually with a homeless nonprofit. And, you know, I, I began to kind of see some things, get some indications that, that maybe as a Christian, uh, we shouldn't be so uh, sidelined or not involved in politics, but I was still really hesitant. Then COVID came along and uh, I saw, I saw what was going on and it was just a real clear discernment or perspective on it that it was quickly being politicized uh, and being taken advantage of. And then, you know, I mean, for all those who think this is crazy, then Jay Inslee goes on, uh, you know, with uh, Bernie supporters in May and just says the quiet part out loud and, and says, hey, you know, COVID, people, people say we shouldn't use COVID to advance the agenda. And that's, you know, so he, he's making good on his word there. And uh, as this progressed, what got me going on this actually was I was horrified by the nursing home deaths. And when I saw what was going on there, and, you know, obviously a lot of attention and focus was on Cuomo in New York and what he did. 
and I posted. So I have a Facebook page called The Recovering Pastor, and I posted about that. And to my surprise, someone from Clark County, in fact, uh, this person was an executive director at a nursing home in Clark County, reached out to me privately and said, it's happening here too in Clark County. And I'm like, what? And what I'm referring to is, you know, the governor's uh, orders to clear out, you know, COVID patients and put them in nursing homes. Yeah. And as I discovered, and she sent me documents, I saw that our public health department on March 24th of 2020, uh, by the direction of DSHS, by the direction of Governor Inslee, basically ordered uh, in Clark County in Southwest Washington, it specifically said that nursing homes, LTCFs, long-term care facilities, had to were required to take in all residents, no matter if they had a pending COVID test. Now, let me put this in context for you. In Oh, did we lose connection with Rob? You know, you had uh, symptoms. And so that's, uh, and it took maybe a week or two before you could get uh, you could get test results. So basically, it was pushing out uh, mm-hmm. COVID patients into nursing homes. Literally, they had active COVID symptoms. And uh, as I dug into this, I just I got more sick to my stomach that uh, wow. what was happening in Clark County. And then it progressed. You know, the more you dug, the more that you saw that public health departments were omitting information, we're, yes. we're budging numbers, we're convoluting data by uh, convoluted definitions. For example, a little bit what we talked about before is, you know, hospitalizations being, uh, you know, all you needed to be was in a hospital and positive COVID doesn't mean that you're in the hospital. So, so mm-hmm. just saw all these kind of manipulations mm-hmm. and uh, began to just dig in, dig in, dig in and couldn't get any results. I, you know, I, I went to the Clark County Council, who's also our board of health, crickets. I mean, I, I laid out the data. I laid out the facts. Mm-hmm. I just called them to investigate it. Nothing. And yeah. so we put together a, um, a uh, online um, uh, petition, so to speak. It didn't have any teeth. And in 10 days, we got 4,200 people. Uh, to sign it and they still did nothing. So sorry, I, I'm a recovering pastor. So when you ask me a question, it could be 20 minutes. So I'll try to I'll try to refrain. Oh no, don't refrain. I love the detail that you were providing here. This is so important. And what it po- points out is throughout this entire nation, exactly what you were experiencing was happening everywhere. And I think what it points to is how America's great system of checks and balances um, had almost ceased to exist because everybody was in this state of let's get along and not argue or have any conflicts with any other entity we interact with, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, we don't want to do that and upset them. That's their rule. Or no, if I speak up, I might get in trouble. So Correct. this you you're showing the depths of this systemic failure, you know, um, that need to be reestablished. 
Those yeah, checks and, and balances need to be reestablished. And what I discovered through this, so so <laughs> it's like an onion, you know, the more you you peel it off. And what I discovered, and I don't know about other counties, uh, but here in Clark County and uh, the health officer is unchecked, hmm. is completely unchecked because there's RCWs that are supposed to, that, that say clearly that the b- local board of health is supposed to supervise the health officer. And so when we pressed the board of health, which is down here is the Clark County council, when we press them to take action, to rein him in, to provide accountability, to ask the tough, tough questions, the, uh, the lawyers in the prosecuting attorney's office who provides legal support for the Clark County council, shut it down. They they basically made a crazy bogus legal argument that the RCWs really are in question and the health officer really doesn't report or is supervised by the Board of Health. If that's the case, we have a serious, uh, what you just alluded to, checks mm-hmm. and balance situation. Mm-hmm. We basically have taxation without representation yeah. because the taxation is just simply taking something of value. And the yeah. health officers, when they shut down churches, when they shut down schools, when they shut down events, recently shut down the wrestlers here in Clark County, and really, I think it was a statewide effort, uh, That that is a form of taxation. And there's apparently no representation. There is. But mm-hmm. the Board of Health, the Clark County Council is yeah. hesitant to do anything. And it's, right. it's a serious problem. Right. And, you know, I was just having a conversation with somebody today saying that if everybody in the United States, in public health, in positions of somewhat of a authority or power to make changes or or have direction or give critique, if everybody is just pointing up the chain of command saying, all the way up to the CDC. Yeah. No. What the what the why do we need all of this infrastructure? If you're all just going to be yes men, what good are you? I say sure. you know either do your job and think critically yeah. and push back when you see something wrong or get out of the way and stop taking um a yeah. salary. Functionally what it is is communism and I don't say that, you know, some people throw those terms out. Right. But really you're talking about a centralized form of government Mm -hmm. that just usurped all of the local, all of the other branches, all all the checks and balances. It it just, uh, they, and I, I believe it was strategic. I don't believe that it was a, a, you know, coincidence or, uh, but I believe it was a strategic play to, to, to do that. And, you know, all along the local jurisdictions are being brushed aside. And there's a reason why we have county jurisdictions. There's a reason why we have local board of health. And that was to prevent a situation like this, where maybe an out of control or wrong policy, no matter what the intention, uh, for example, going back to the nursing home guidance of March uh, 24th, uh, 2020, you know, when that guidance came from the state, clearly, in fact, I did public records request, and you see that just a week or two afterwards, they were in panic mode because they realized the that nursing homes, LTCFs, were not prepared. They weren't staffed. They weren't equipped. They weren't trained mm-hmm. for it. And the results, you know, unfolded to be, you know, at the end of 2020, I believe, 
uh, over half, maybe 60% of all COVID deaths were nursing home related. And so the local health officer is supposed to be established to get that guidance to say, okay, is our jurisdiction, is our community ready for this? Will, Will this quote unquote improve the local health, which literally is stated in his job description that he is supposed to improve the public health. And he did all I asked for, by the way, Bernadette, was I asked just for, um, hey, show me that you investigated this, that when you got that guidance, that you did your due diligence and said, I I surveyed you know, the situation and I determined that this guidance would improve the public health. He did no such thing. No. He just rubber stamped it, moved it along. Right. And it really violates uh, what's what's at stake here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and congratulations and good for you bringing it somewhat to light. But, you know, we've all realized that we can't stop there. You reveal it. Nothing is done. And so now right. we're we're figuring out how to take next actions and yeah. restore what needs to be restored. Now, I found in a public records request just sort of inadvertently another state directive about that same time that they were they were trying to clear up space in hospitals, they said. Correct. And they were telling them discharge people from the hospital and put them in long-term care facilities. So right. they were continually adding more and more patients who were in very vulnerable situations. They themselves might not yet have had COVID, but because they were still critically ill, they were highly susceptible to severe COVID, right? DSHS document? I believe it is. It's been probably a year since I looked at it. Yeah, Um, that's the one, by the way, that they cited, the Clark County uh, Health Department cited as their source. When I hmm. asked them why they issued this health advisory, they referred to that document. Right. Which amazes me because, again, only 12 states in the entire United States had that huge spike in uh, long-term health care facilities. Only 10 states are, were, were responsible for instituting this entire pandemic and shutdown. Wow. Only 10 states. And did yeah. they all have similar yes. state Same policies profiles. that moved people into all- all within about a two, three week window, by the way. Exactly. Wow. Yes. And and I believe, I mean, this, I, I believe that it was coordinated within some sort of consulting firm that there, there's got to be a, a connection between this because I, ju- I just have a hard time believing that what 14 states uh, did this just right. within a two, three week window. And again, this is a great RICO case because this is mm-hmm. collusion to- yeah cause harm. And now I'm not saying for sure that these are the entities that did it, but two of the major entities that were assisting many state governments were the Gates Foundation through their infectious disease modeling arm, uh, (laughs) excuse me, and the McKinsey Consulting Group, which is a global consulting firm that has been found guilty of pushing opioids. And they had a huge hand in um, in promoting all these COVID responses, and yeah. I would love to see a deep investigation in them. But there there may be you know other avenues of collusion um, going on. But again, it was so easy to do because systemically we had lapsed into this fear of pushing back against anyone you know w- that was perceived to be a chain ab- above you. 
Right. And, and then money started pouring in. So you had the fear of speaking out, fear of being critical, <clears throat> and also incentives to shut up and do what they say. Right. 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 And, you know, that is a dangerous combination for humans. We um, have known to be very weak in those circumstances. Yeah. Somebody was playing us very well. Well, there's two aspects that were really um, uh, used against us. Number one is fear. And if anyone understands the psychology of fear, it typically uh, enacts a irrational response. Right. It, it, it's all, it takes a, a great deal of training, you know, for example, police officers, Navy SEALs, all that. They have to be trained to instinctively uh, react differently than an irrational response from fear. Right. So fear generally, you know, that it invokes that part of our brain. The mm -hmm. second thing that that uh, they took advantage of is uh, our good nature to yes. to trust people. And, yes. and generally, I believe that we have that as Americans and whatnot. You know, we trust elected officials. We trust, you know, healthcare workers. Uh, we trust uh, health bureaucrats, whatnot and combine those two things, then you're exactly right. Then you throw in the greed factor and it yeah. was like right. game over in the, in the sense of, uh, you know, this, this tidal wave of craziness. Yeah. And, and they took advantage of the best part of mankind. And that's, we truly want to look out for each other. Yes. You know, in the beginning of all this, you know, I was do I was being as cautious as everybody. It was following mm -hmm. the science, all of the science. Yeah. Right and here. when like when the the whole idea of masking first came up, I was in some email threads and I'm like, you know, you guys, if if something like wearing a mask actually slows things down is and is a least invasive choice and it works, you know, I personally will get behind it. But then I dove into the science and and holy moly, no, that doesn't work. But, you know, all of us in this movement, you know, for in one way or another, we are doing what we think is best for each other and for ourselves. Now, they have divided us and made us seem like we're polar opposites. But our ultimate goal is the same. We want to help each other, right? And speaking of which, helping each other, I want to move on to the wonderful petition. Um, so we, we don't forget to get there. So, um, so you started off, you're seeing wrongs happening. You're trying to speak up. You see nothing happening. Yeah. Here we end up, you know, it's now 2021 and tell me about this petition. So, yeah, it was, and I'll just, so it's interesting on August 4th of 2020, I wrote my first letter to the editor calling on the Clark County council to supervise or to do their jobs, to supervise, you know, as the board of health, the public health crickets, it goes along. Um, I, I wrote, in fact, it's funny, I didn't plan on this, but I'm pretty sure it was August 4th. So a year later, 2021, I published another letter to the editor and it was uh, entitled Declaration of Independence from COVID Tyranny and Discrimination. Oh, I love it. And, <laughs> and uh, what I did is I posted on my um, recovering pastor uh, uh, Facebook page and I got a hundred signatures because I'm like, you know, if it's just little old me, it's not going to have as much weight. So you know, I, I really, I began a mission to, to, to start gathering people. And uh, so we got up, you know, a hundred people, I published it and we pushed, put out a link where people could sign up 
and it would automatically email the counselors to, you know, in support. In a way, this was the virtual version of the petition. And uh, in 10 days, 4,200 people uh, signed up. And uh, the next Board of Health meeting, you know, pushed them to act. They didn't. Mm -hmm. They ignored it. Mm -hmm. I mean, completely. Well, wow. I don't take that very well. And so <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I decided I did some research and I discovered that in Clark County, uh, under home rule charter, that there is a room for what's called a mini initiative in which, because I was looking for quick solutions because, you know, there's initiative, but man, that would take a year yeah. or so, uh, to get it on like a countywide ballot. So the fastest way, because in my estimation, so four of the five county counselors are supposedly Republicans. And it's like, if there's any place in the state of Washington, like this is it, this county council, like this is where we could get a win. This is where we could get action. So I did the research. Uh, I put together a petition. I went down to the auditor's office. Basically, what you need is 3% of those in Clark County that voted for the governor at the last governor election, which comes out to be 8,311 signatures I would need. Uh, it's total like 220,000 people voted for the governor. So it breaks down to 8,311. That's the magic number. I get those signatures. What happens is it is forwarded to the Clark County Council and they have to vote. They have to vote. They can't ignore it. And so uh, that's what we did. So I, I wrote the petition out. It was funny. I come down to the Clark County Elections Office. This is how green I was. I go down there and sweet uh, Kathy uh, 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 Garber, who is the elections department manager. She looks at me and she's like, um, almost she didn't say this but this is how it kind of came around i'm sorry sonny but you're gonna have to write an actual ordinance and so <laughs> I was like oh okay so i did research looked it up saw the whereas statements that you gotta you know do for for ordinance and i developed this ordinance to be laser focused on discrimination and the mandates we do not go into the weeds on vaccines. We do not go into the weeds on, on masks. Um, and not to say that those aren't valid issues. I want a win. And I believe that the best place to do it is on the issue of how mandates discriminate against one group artificially against another group, how they violate someone's medical health status and their, their right to privacy. And mm -hmm. so I developed this ordinance. If you want, I can read real quick the summary. Oh, yes. Read it to us, please. Yeah, yeah. So uh, basically, and it was, and again, it was pretty funny because I, 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 I've never written an ordinance before, but it says this, an ordinance prohibiting all mandates within Clark County that discriminate against citizens regarding their health status or that violates existing rights to health information privacy. That's the summary statement. I'm not going to read all the whereas statements, but there's about a dozen of them. By the way, listeners out there, if they're interested, you can get this information at ClarkCountyGroup.com, and there's a tab there of read the the ordinance. And uh, and you can, by the way, you can tinker with this. You can just make small adjustments 
and use it at your county level, especially if you have a sympathetic, you know, county that might take action immediately. But here's the here's the therefore statement. Here's the action that we're calling on. Therefore, we call on Clark County Council to immediately pass an ordinance that prohibits any and all discriminatory mandates, orders, or compulsory requirements within Clark County buildings or land use that discriminates against an individual based on his or her current health status, violates health privacy, or that does not honor health, religious, or moral objectors in an equitable manner. No business, government agency, educational institution, public, health-related, religious, corporate, or private organization that operates on land within Clark County will be allowed to discriminate via employment practices or denial of services in relation to any other or future mandates or orders that discriminate in a like fashion, quote, lockdowns, face coverings, etc. Any violators will be subject to fines, risk permit denials, and risk land use permits. Wow. Fantastic. I, you know, listening to that, I, I do have a question and maybe you've got it built in there. If we take um, the crazy COVID stuff that's going on and just look at it, the term um, health status, there are certain health laws, like if you've got a fever and are throwing up, there are certain work regulations that you can't go to work or, and you can't go to school. You need to stay home mm-hmm. per regulations, you know, Mm-hmm. that deem that. Does your um, ordinance um, impact that in any way? Or does it still allow those pre-COVID existing um, common sense sort of health uh, regulations to remain in place? Well, the regulations that you're speaking of, I, I believe I could be wrong, but you know they've come about through proper channels of how we you know, set policy, mm-hmm. you know, how through legislation, through policy, through WAC, through all these kind of things. And that's why the language specifically uh, calls out mandates. So okay. what, what this is doing is this is calling out the aspect of these executive orders that do have not gone through the legislative okay. process. For example, some people, you know, like to make the comparison of seatbelts, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, seatbelts, if I'm not mistaken, went through, in fact, I wasn't it a voter initiative, if I remember. So I, I, I think I remember voting, you know, as a young, as a young pup um, on seatbelts. And, you know, that that went through a proper process in which uh, those laws were determined. Exactly. And these mandates, it has not happened. No. Correct. That's right. That would be the the uh, counter to that, I would okay. say. And I don't but, know if you noticed or not, but the language in particular about building and land use. Yes. So the reason why I've done that is, and I believe that this is statewide, that counties have been, um, you know, handcuffed or the power of the people has been reduced. And all that's really left at the county council level is land use. I mean, that's really their only power. And by the way, um, what do hospitals, schools, uh, federal buildings, what do they all have in common? They have permits. Mm. They, they, have, uh, they have permits that are cleared through the county council. So 
conditional use permits. So this is going at the heart of that. And I anticipate some, uh, when this is passed, uh, I anticipate some great legal challenges and for it to, uh, to, to really cause some, some waves here and push back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering, um, you know, in the next hour, one of the things Javier and I are going to discuss is the billions of dollars flowing to schools in order for um, all of these mandates to continue on. Do you know if at the county level there is money? I know there's money flowing to the county level. Are there, is there money with strings attached that would um, make it even more incentive to not uh, pass your resolution or uh, ordinance? So yeah, there's there's ninety five million dollars that if I'm pretty sure that the county um, had at their disposal, and it's just it's mind blowing. That's on top of their regular budget, and that doesn't include the millions of dollars. I'm pretty sure just one of the largest uh, school districts here. I, I I hope I get this right, but I it was that school district. I think it was Vancouver School District it was close to 70 million alone. In, yeah. And uh, so I don't believe so in the sense of, um, you know, those kind of aspects, but I haven't seen the language of that money mm-hmm. involved. Um, but yeah, that, that that's a great question. I'm, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. There's, there's just so much pressure coming from so many sides for these individuals and they have to be educated enough about what is happening, about how our freedoms are being stolen, the harms of these measures on society. I mean, it's been so appalling that the only thing that seems to matter is being able to say that you did a measure that is claimed to reduce the number of COVID cases or COVID deaths. But, you know, it's it, it's like the expression of, you know, like some cancer treatments. Well, you killed the, the, you know, you cured the cancer, but you killed the patient. Right. And so many of the measures are doing so much more harm. And so individuals like on county councils, they have to be informed enough that when they are faced with something, that they've got it in their heart and soul, that they will stand strong to do the right thing. Yeah, you know, um, one and getting a little political here, but it's I guess it is rather a political discussion of one of the things that I felt I really disagreed with about uh, President Trump was I felt like on some issues he didn't have enough depth of his conviction mm. to understand. I don't believe because in the early days he was saying he had some concerns about vaccine safety and he totally let that go way too easily. And then his rapid, um, you know, warp speed, um, getting uh, vaccine approval or for emergency use authorization and getting him out there. He didn't have the depth of conviction of his understanding of what could go wrong. And that leads to really bad leadership. You know, it's what's going on. uh, Well, Biden doesn't know what's going on. He's clueless, but Sorry about that. I I shouldn't badmouth. Right. Get it out. <laughs> I mean, I don't believe, you know, I don't believe in censorship, but I also, you know, try to keep my show positive and not, 
you know, bad mouth and, right. but it, it's, it is very frustrating when you see the incompetence and like right now, did, right. did either of you get a chance to tune into the Supreme court hearing today? There were, there were, there were two of them. I was hit and miss. I had a document. I was on deadline to um, submit, but some of the Supreme court justices were so ill-informed on on the shots. I mean, it was so appalling. And their belief that so many people were at risk and that the vaccines would actually prevent them from being at risk themselves and preventing infection. And, and then you would hear the arguments from the attorneys who were trying to give them some facts. And it was like, spitting on somebody in a, in a full hazmat suit. It just bounced right off of them. It's like they weren't even listening. Mm -hmm. They couldn't take it in, you know? So we don't, we don't have a conclusion yet on that. We don't know what their answer is going to be to the, um, either to the OSHA ruling or to the Biden mandate for employers. Um, so, you know, it could go either way on both of those decisions, I hope hoping and praying the right thing happens, but you know, you don't know, it's going to really come down to individuals and, just doing the right thing. Go ahead. Hop, hop. And I just have to comment that, you know, we always talk about checks and balances, but the ultimate checks check and balances, the individual yeah. that basically stands up and says, no, there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. And that has to be critically important. It is the one person, the ethical, the moral that will always be the ultimate check and balance. It's, mm -hmm. you know, like the story of the 10th, the 10th man, the 10th the, the person has the obligation. If everyone says yes, that last person has the obligation to say, I say no, because I need to be accountable and I mm -hmm. need to investigate why everyone's saying yes. Yeah. And that, that is an important tradition that, you know, holds, holds over from many different religious traditions. But in mm -hmm. the end, it's always the moral and the ethical. Yeah. That holds the line. Yeah, Javier, I'm glad you bring that up because at the very beginning, Rob, you were saying that you kind of felt like, if I understood you right, that you felt like there's something wrong here where I'm keeping my religious, my faith out of mm -hmm. politics. Can you talk on mm -hmm. that a little bit? Because I know that's kind of big in Javier's life. He kind of has been going on this uh, bit of a spiritual journey uh, through COVID, uh, you know? Um, yeah. So let's, let's talk about that. Sure. Yeah. So basically when I was in ministry, uh, I had a philosophy of saying, you know, I'm not going to, even though I was very political minded in the sense of followed things, had opinions, so forth, stay engaged, but I, I didn't activate at all. I didn't, you know, talk about it. I didn't use my influence in that regards because I just felt like, well, uh, you know, I shouldn't. And, uh, you know, there's there's that whole separation of church and state and whatnot. And when COVID came around, uh, it just began to open my eyes on, on a lot of different levels. And that is that uh, faith has a real important aspect of this. And, and so let, let me kind of it's never one thing in life. It's always a multiple, you know, aspect. So there's not one element here that really situates it. But let me, let me just kind of walk through a couple of different things that really shaped me. Number one is, as you kind of look at the, how 501c3s 
have uh, come along and how that's influenced the church. If people don't know, that's how churches are organized as nonprofits. It really was started in the 50s, and it was a, a preemptive move by the Johnson administration to try to get churches out of the civil rights movement, because I think that they knew that if churches got involved, uh, it would be game over. And it happened, right? Uh, churches got involved, Martin Luther King, and uh, it, it just, you know, it was game over for the civil rights movement, fortunately. And uh, so they tightened the screws, and it really began this this change process of moving churches to be more corporate, to think corporately, to not be spiritual in nature. And then this whole notion of, hey, you can't, you know, there's, you'll lose your tax status, you know, and, uh, you know, all those tax donations, uh, tax deducted donations, that's the trade-off that, you know, the government, by the way, the government never gives you anything. It always has strings attached to it. And, uh, you know, you do the same, right? I mean, you probably don't walk around handing out cash with no strings or, you know, you would want things for it. And so it's not an evil thing. It's just the reality of it. And so that's the trade-off, unfortunately, that church has made. And through the decades, they have become corporatized. They've become institutionalized as the Shawshank Redemption, you know, terminology <laughs> kicks in. And, uh you know, they've, they've slowly but surely been silent. And when you're silent on political issues, you eventually become irrelevant culturally because politics mm -hmm. and culture will always be linked together. And so as I began to kind of process this, I began to see, number one, the corporate nature of churches and how they were making decisions more based on budgets and corporate ideas and culture than anything. And God just, you know, and I, I don't pretend to have a special, you know, bat phone line with God, but there was a <laughs> moment where he just really prompted me saying, no, Rob, you need you need to become political. You need to speak about these issues. Mm -hmm. And it was messy at first. And I lost a lot of friends mm -hmm. and I stay respectful, but yet, you know, we speak to those issues. And just from a biblical perspective, I believe that Paul, you know, which people talk about Romans 13 and how you should submit to authorities. Well, two things is Paul then in his life demonstrated that you should not say that's a general truth, but specifically he appealed to Caesar when he was unfairly beaten as a Roman citizen. He didn't stay silent. He didn't submit to the local authorities. He said, uh -uh, excuse me, why are you uh, beating a Roman citizen? Meaning he, he advocated for his rights and he exposed corruption. John the Baptist was beheaded because he exposed local corruption at the local government level in more impersonal uh, aspects, but it was corruption. So you see all these examples of how martyrs, you know, most of the disciples were, were martyred because of speaking out against local government. And, you know, so I think when you pull all of those things together, and again, should be done respectfully, uh, but you know, the totalitarian, the totality of the picture biblically, you know, Paul uh, appealing to Caesar. And so I would just believe that Christians in, in the last argument I'll make that I think is the most powerful. And it's when Jesus was asked about loving your neighbor. Mm 
And if you remember the very famous parable of the Good Samaritan, mm -hmm. in which he gives, so how do you love your neighbor? He, he tells the story of someone who suffered great injustice, who was beaten up and robbed on the side of the road. And who does he highlight? He highlights that the high priest comes along and passes along the other side. Then the Levite, who would be the equivalent of the worship leader, comes on the scene, doesn't join in in the injustice, doesn't kick him, doesn't rob him. He just ignores it. And he goes in on the other side. And it's the most unlikely person, the, the Samaritan that comes along and steps into the mess, gives that person voice, who, who speaks to the injustice of it. And Jesus, by the way, was not highlighting the good Samaritan. He was highlighting because his audience was, guess who? Fanboys of the high priest and the Levites. And the mm -hmm. whole purpose of the Good Samaritan is to say, don't pass along the other side. Don't look the other way in the face of injustice. You must engage it. You must act. You must bring healing to those who have been wounded. You must give voice to those who have no voice. By the way, the victim never spoke but the Good Samaritan spoke on his behalf. And that, my friends, is uh, the end of the sermon. And it's uh, the, 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 my, my thoughts on, on that matter. I, I love that. I was sitting here thinking that, you know, if you gave sermons like this regularly, I would love to attend. <laughs> um, you know, because this is putting, um, you know, some great Bible uh, verses into practical everyday terms that show how they inform our life today. Yeah. You know, I, you, and you taught me things I didn't know. I didn't know that making churches be 501c3s had this impact. And, and it was done, like you said, in order to keep them out of civil rights movement, because, you know, they wanted to keep their power. Mm -hmm. They didn't want the civil rights movement to succeed. That is fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. I, I was under the impression that the whole concept of separation of church and state mm -hmm. was more about making sure that people in political office did not use their particular church to tell people what to do. You don't want, you know, the, the president to say, the Pope says this, so therefore American people have to do it. I, I don't think that that separation, but I might be wrong, historically means that my faith, my church, you know, who I am and my spiritual beliefs, I don't think it meant that I'm supposed to keep that out of my politics. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But, but the, the, the government is supposed to em, embrace and honor and respect all religions, but not dictate religion from. Correct. Is that Correct. That that was my understanding of it when when I was going through uh, constitutional classes. Okay. That it, it's there to ensure that there is no that the the government does not become a Christian government, a Jewish government, or a Muslim government. It's there to represent all people, minority and majority beliefs. In a you know I, <clears throat> the term secular is used and it's become a, a bit of a, a dirty word, but I would say in an um, uh, ec uh, ecumenical fashion in a sense, because I think that atheism is also a form of religion. It's a yeah. belief structure. Mm -hmm. So it's ecumenical. Ecumenical and it's religious. Yeah. 
Exactly. So it's ecumenical in its approach. So the idea of tolerance, I think, has to be modified to ecumenical in that we all come with beliefs. We all have to respect or at least tolerate those beliefs and work accordingly to create a government that reflects those. And it does seem to me that our decision makers right now, the people that we've entrusted to guide this nation, because they may have internalized that separation of their faith from who they are as political beings, it's allowing them to be coerced. It's allowing them to not stand up to fear. It's allowing them to be bribed. Um, well, the worst part is, is it goes beyond that. Yes, the elected officials have always been, um, I guess, in that conundrum. But now what has happened is it's pastors in uh, mm -hmm. many churches. I don't know about, in fact, I'm pretty sure I know it's rampant, but down here in Clark County, almost all of the very large churches took, uh, you know, PPP, uh, the payroll protection program money uh, from the government. And, you know, again, uh, is, uh, you, you know, is, is, is definitely, there's always strings attached. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that, uh, that is really sad that, that it's affected also the pastorate and basic churches. And it's, it's, again, it's more of a byproduct of that corporate culture. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and that, that's a whole nother show of kind of dissecting that. But um, I do want to kind of, I know that we're probably running out of time. I, I'd love to talk a um, little, fill you in on the petition and yeah, where yeah. we're at. Yeah, let's get back to that. We've got about six minutes. So yeah, and I want to leave um, listeners with knowing, you know, what to follow, what they can do. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. So the petition, as you know, section four of the Washington Constitution, it, it, it people, I don't know if they realize, but the right to petition is equal to the right to assemble. And so when we did the mini petition, which we did collect 11,505 signatures in 57 days, by the way, this is historic. It's never been done before in Clark County. And we did it in 57 days from the time that they stamped it and approved that I could gather signatures to the time of turning them in. And 11,505 signatures we turned in on December 30th, they uh, basically, they put pencils down when they hit the magic number, 8,311. So we got 8,316. Uh, we believe it was more like probably 10,000 of them were legitimate registered voters in Clark County. And then what it does is it moves it has moved now to the Clark County Council where they have 60 days, which they have already set a public meeting for February 1st. And by the way, every Republican, you might think, well, this is a Clark County issue. Every Republican in Washington state, this is, this is your game. This is your moment because right now this ordinance is at the hands of three Republicans, three Republicans, can pass this that ban all mandates that discriminate. And uh, so, you know, it's one of those situations where Republicans can snatch uh, uh, defeat out of the jaws of victory here if we don't all pile in. So this needs to be a statewide issue respectfully, but, you know, we need to give these counselors room to succeed. But they 
need to feel the full pressure of statewide because it's not going to happen at the governor level. It's not going to happen at the state legislature level for years, but it could happen in, in the month of February on the state level or at the county level, the uh, official pushback in saying no more, Governor Inslee, no more of these mandates that discriminate. And so that's where we're at right now. We're preparing for the February 1st meeting. You can go to ClarkCountyGroup.com to stay involved in this. But uh, we're putting together a public meeting. They, they, I'm pretty sure they're going to keep it a virtual meeting and uh, close to the public. But we're going to put together an alternate uh, assembly site where we're, we're planning on a thousand plus people to gather because this is the breach in the hole. This is, you know, this, this is the, the weak spot in the, in the fence, so to speak, for this. And if we all pile in, uh, then it, w- this is our moment, really, to, in Washington state. Now, when you say they might, they keep it close to the public, doesn't um, um, public, the laws apply, can it be a closed meeting? Well, it they'll keep it virtual. Well, virtual. Their, okay. their terminology that is closed to the public, but they they've changed that because they realize that that's, that's problematic. Wrong. But uh, they'll okay. keep it virtual, um, which is and, fine. And then and then some people participating will hopefully be like in a large hall with thousands of people behind we, them. Yeah, who will we will. Be- <laughs> I'll, I'll, as the chief petitioner, I'll be able to zoom in. And uh, give a, a you know a moderate uh, 15, 20 minute presentation uh, in support of the petition, and I plan to have uh, be at that location and have the crowd behind me, nice. and uh, you know really show the counselors because get this, and and I know this is statewide. The Clark County Council has not seen the whites of the eyes of their constituents for almost two years now. Well, that's for, right. For a whole year, they didn't even allow public comment. And That's then right. In March of 2020, they finally allowed you to dial in and call in, but they have not looked in the eyes of their constituents for for two years now. That's that's crazy. Well, I'm so excited about your work. And so, if people go to, we've got one more minute here. Clock ClarkCountyGroup.com. Will they find ways to submit? comment to voice their support of your petition and ways they can participate. Yeah. So we have links. I just put them up in which they can email the Clark County council directly and, uh, and, and let their comments be heard, but I'm calling on all people. I mean, all, you know, constitutional loving people to come down to Clark County and to, Mm -hmm. Uh, on February 1st, 6 p.m. And we'll and stay in contact. So go to that website, get signed up on our on our email updates so you can stay informed because we're going to, within a week or so, we'll, we'll post the location. But we will have an alternate site and it will be Good. vital that people jump in. That's, that's fantastic. So again, that's ClarkCountyGroup.com. I want to thank you so much, um, you. Rob, for participating. Um, we're going to take a break and then come back for another hour. You've been listening to An Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We'll be back in a few minutes. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood 
president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody to show me, somebody to show me love. We need a revolution. Hello and welcome back to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. And with me is Javier Figueroa. Hello. Uh, welcome back, Javier. I just loved our our, our last guest. Uh, Rob is fantastic. What's his last name again? Rob Anderson. Anderson. Yep. Bad memory here. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so I love what he's doing down in Clark County. You know, Javier, this... Uh, a lot of people have been on some amazing journeys through COVID, you know, the silver lining. Um, a lot of us have had to look really a lot more closely at our lives, yes, at our beliefs, at our actions, um, and trying to better align, you know, what we believe with what we do, exactly. what we're invested in, you know. And I know I still have a lot of improvements to do myself in my own life. So much of our lives is, is, is tangled in, in very complicated ways. Um, I wasn't even going to talk about this. I don't know what I'm thinking of it, but like, for instance, I'll throw one thing out there, PayPal, right? Yeah. 
PayPal has not been behaving nicely. They have uh, deplatformed um, one of my favorite um, organizations, the Informed Consent Action Network. Um, and it's like I need to now detangle myself from uh, PayPal because if you know if they're making decisions that are really harming truth um then i just cannot be aligned with them but you know i'm like anybody else i've got things set up to be used really easily for finances in in certain areas so that's right it it's difficult um to always live every single moment in your truth but uh well and that's the reason why i think there's the the push for creating a parallel system is growing mm. stronger and stronger every day we're not we're not going to win this fight in a year or two years this is a long-term process in which we have to start living and applying that truth yes. over yes. a long time. And this is something that even uh, another podcaster, the ASH farmer said, and even, mm -hmm. I don't even know if, if you know who Cliff High is on YouTube, Cliff High is a, a, a bit of a futurist uh, in terms of what's going on, but both of them completely different approaches to analyzing mm -hmm. data and where they get the information are basically saying, start building parallel systems, detangle yes. yourself from these monsters. And they yes. are monsters. When they yeah. deny you your basic rights, when they exactly. actually violate the law, they're monsters. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And, um, you know, we need to start taking action. I'm going to show people one way, at least in Washington State, where they can take action. So I'm going to share with you a little bit um, a post that we have on Informed Choice Washington website today. Um, if people are new listeners, uh, go to informedchoicewa.org. Uh, we mostly focus on um, Washington State, but there's information there as well for anybody uh, that you will find that can be useful information. Almost every single state, I believe, right now has a medical freedom group. And, of course, there's always Children's Health Defense, whose information and their online magazine, The <clears throat> Defender, and CHTDTV, which we are on right, right now, Javier. Um, great information, no matter where you are anywhere on the planet. Great information. Um, so, But in, in Informed Choice Washington, so next week... Um, there's going to be a Washington State Board of Health meeting. And and I wanted to talk about a little bit uh, on the air because there's been some confusion about what's what's going to be talked about yeah. at that meeting. So um, in Washington State, we have a law. Um, our laws are called RCWs. I forget what it stands for, but oh. it, it states that... Revised Code of Washington. Thank you, Revised Code of Washington. That certain... Um, certain vaccines will be required for school. What those certain vaccines are, are uh, left to the Washington State Board of Health to decide. That's how the law is set up. The Board of Health is made up of 10 individuals who are um, hand-selected by the governor of the state. And when they go, they have a process that they will go through to decide whether or not to add a shot or remove a shot. But as, right. as far as I know, they've never removed anything, although we have petitioned them to remove things because they no longer fit their criteria. But that's a whole other, um, I won't go into the details of, of that frustrating experience. Exactly. But on, on the agenda upcoming, um, first of all, there's one section I want to let people know if you're hearing on social media that they're, um, that the Board of Health is 
going to be discussing COVID-19, quarantine, and all sorts of very extreme measures. Um, I want to let you know that the agenda item is not explained well at all. In fact, they just give you the name of the RCW or the WAC, which WAC, is yeah. the, the rule that um, puts in practical terms our laws. Um, it has to do with HIV and modernizing, they call it language. It was a 2020 law that updated language in a certain section of Washington code mm -hmm. having to do with sexual transmitted diseases and bloodborne diseases. <clears throat> so there's some confusion because none of that was mentioned, just that section of code, which talks about quarantine for of infectious diseases and things. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have to keep a close eye on our state because there has been talk and there is information out there about quarantining um, people for COVID. But this particular agenda item is not about that. Right. Pay close attention, go read it carefully, the updated language, but it's not about that. But there are two things on the agenda that are important. One is agenda um, item um, nine. number nine, mm -hmm. uh, no, number eight. Number I don't eight. have it okay. right here. Number eight, um, where they're going to be talking about the technical advisory group that they have formed. Right. The, the first step, um, as you well know, Javier, in... Um, the rulemaking process to add a vaccine to school requirement is to form a technical advisory group. Um, and that's exactly what they have done already. And so in response, um, Informed Choice Washington, and I thank you, Javier, for coming on this project with us. Absolutely. You are our point person. Um, we filed a rulemaking petition that would prohibit the board, if they adopted a new rule from requiring any emergency use authorized product or any licensed product that lacks completed phase three trial studies. Um, and so we're encouraging people, please go to our website, go to the most recent post. You can find it just by going to um, all news and look for the your comments and attendance needed at BOH meeting. You can find the details. If you can, please attend the virtual meeting. Um, send in your comment. Uh, it's very important that we um, uh, get some attention yes. on that. And the more people can join, the better. That way the Bard of Health will really understand how many people are actually concerned about this. Yes. Uh, because deaf ears really, unfortunately, the Board of Health has really shown that they have deaf ears towards the community, especially when they bring up subjects. Yeah, um, it is very frustrating. And, it, you know, it's like everything we've been talking about, you know, the, 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 the corporate capture of science and everything else really feeds um, into their reactions to us. Correct. You know, and I will bring in just quickly summarize what happened with our petition to several years ago with pertussis. The, the pertussis vaccine is actually, you can't get it by itself. It's with a tetanus vaccine and a diphtheria vaccine. Right. The, the pertussis vaccine that is this, this Tdap or DTAP, there's two formulations depending on age that are administered. The current one that's ad administered is called an acellular um, pertussis vaccine, does not prevent infection or transmission. It, at best, for maybe 18 months at most, will minimize symptoms um, 
potentially, because it's not really even mentioning the, the currently circulating strain, right? So there's a lot of decisions to be made in getting your child this product. Uh, an important study came out by a, a gentleman named Cherry. And he said, oops, what we have discovered is this vaccine, if it's your first exposure to pertussis, which is whooping cough, it permanently skews your immune system so you never develop a proper immune response. You will forever be susceptible to pertussis. Correct. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, this is a major concern. And so we petitioned the Board of Health. We submitted all the most accurate, <clears throat> up-to-date science Tetanus is not a communicable infection. Nope. It, it can't be caught in school. It's for personal use only. Correct. Diphtheria vaccines are also like an acellular. They, they potentially have the same problems of not stopping transmission, just like the diphtheria. So we submitted the most recent science and said, we believe this should be a purely personal, non-coerced decision. It's not, it cannot protect public spaces, can't prevent transmission in schools. So we believe it doesn't fit your criteria. Please remove it. Correct. They refused. And so we um, appealed to the governor's office, which is the next step you have. And after a while, the governor's attorney wrote back and said to us that they were declining our appeal and that current science outweighed our argument. That's BS. Well, they they supplied no science. Well, so exactly. I wrote back and said, could you please send the science that you claim outweighs our argument? Because we sent you the most current science available. It was only a few months old, some of it. Right. And the attorney said, well, I have to ask for it. I'm like, what do you mean you have to ask for it? If you, you didn't have you, it. You base your decision on this information and you don't have it. Who are you asking? He said the Department of Health. So a couple of days later, <laughs> a couple of days later, they sent four links, four, four general information links, either to the DOH or the CDC about pertussis. That was that, it. That's not evidence. That's no. just PR. No, right. And so, and we had no, there was nowhere else to appeal this. That was it. That is the ridiculousness with which um, you know, we have been dealing, but you know, COVID has changed a lot and, you know, I'm a Pollyanna. I believe that there's humanity lurking in the hearts of every single board of health member. And, you know, I'm just going to keep the faith that if we give them enough information and, and if they've been paying enough attention outside of their circle to what's going on, some of them might be ready to really hear what we have to say. So that's, uh, yeah, I, if anybody wants to read the petition, it's on that web, our, our webpage. Go I ahead. I hope that's the case. My experience has been different, Yeah. Um, you know, until they actually feel the pain, uh, yeah. will they actually change? But again, I've seen both cases. They've been rare. Uh, but yeah. more people respond to wanting to avoid pain than wanting to do good because doing good comes at a cost. It really does, and especially in this case. We knew even pro-COVID, if you stood up and said anything critical of current policies, anything to do yeah. with vaccine, you were setting yourself up for pain and criticism and attack. Correct. And, you know, it's that on steroids now. However, the evidence um, showing the danger of these shots and the ineffectiveness of these shots is so strong that I feel like it and, – and yet the messaging is – so out of sync with it that I think it is opening minds. And I, I hope and pray that it will open their minds. Um, I agree. Yeah. 
I 100% agree. And at this point, uh, there's so much evidence of harm that it is now incumbent upon individuals to begin legal action mm-hmm. against against people that are now willfully ignoring the evidence. And that is an important key point. This is yeah. willful ignorance. You cannot rely on saying the CDC said so. Okay. If you're a scientist, if you're a public official, if you're a medical doctor, if you're a nurse, if you're a practitioner, you have the duty and the obligation of your oath to dig in and find out, is this correct? You cannot rely on the CDC or any other agency to provide you the information. You have to do it yourself. That is your job, your duty, your obligation. Period. Period. Oh, I agree completely. I'm gonna um I'm gonna play a little bit here. I don't know, Javier, if you had a chance to watch the High Wire yesterday with Del Bigtree. I did not. I was actually watching an interview with uh, Reinhard Fulmich, but yeah, that's the next thing on on my list to, to watch. Oh, to talk Wire. about. Okay, yeah. So, but I'm gonna play a little bit, and I'll probably interrupt and chat with you in between here. <clears throat> From the end of the High Wire, all of it's good, but this is just it was. It was so timely, especially for me, because I was just at a meeting here in my new little town in Tennessee that I adore and working with some of the individuals because we decided we were going to look into the money that was being sent to our county, to the schools from the federal government to find out about the um, the strings attached to it. And then here's this episode. So um, if you could just let me know for sure. And and Nathan, if you're listening there at the studio, that you're getting the, um, the visual and the audio come through here. So the radio listeners are hearing. Got a team together and said, what would be incentivizing if you were going to try and create a plan that created a pandemic, maybe, or a very high death rate, what would you have to do? You'd have to incentivize that in some way. And we've been asking the question, where are all the incentives coming from? Well, we've talked about a few of them, but right now I want to bring on A.J. DePriest, who uh, got a team together. AJ, uh, thank you for taking the time. We ran into each other at a function just a couple of weeks ago, and you blew my mind with what you were telling me. So I'm going to hand it over to you. First of all, how did you get into sort of looking at the data and looking at sort of incentive projects happening from our government? Thank you, Dell. It's so good to be here. Thank you for giving us a voice. Uh, about a year ago, 28 people got together all volunteers and formed Tennessee Liberty Network. It's a small think tank here in Tennessee. Okay. We're not controlled by anyone. Nobody nobody gives us money for anything. And um, we wanted to do some research into the CARES Act money coming into the state to find out how exactly all the different areas of our state were affected by that money. We didn't find anything really untoward there, but when the American Rescue Plan Act was signed by Joe Biden in March, early March of 2021, was about the same time that we started going to school board meetings and discovering that there was this very disturbing trend of of parents and citizens standing in front of school boards crying and begging for their kids to be unmasked. And yet the school board members kind of sat there glassy-eyed and sort of like zombies, almost like they didn't have a say-so in the matter. So we decided to dig into that and discovered that the school boards really don't have a choice in the matter. Okay, how's that? Um, in, in, the, in the CARES Act, um, ESSER money, that's um, elementary and secondary school emergency relief money, was ESSER 1 and 2 were released under the CARES Act. 
Okay. Um, ESSER three money, which was more than than any money ever given to, to schools ever by the government, was released shortly after Biden signed the ARP Act in March 2021. Okay. And yes, this is a great graphic here because you can see that in December 2020, the CD released a report, the CDC released a report saying that it would only cost $25 billion to get every single school in the United States up and running. Okay. And to date, schools have been given almost $200 billion wow. in food relief money. Yeah, big carrot, right? Yeah, big huge, carrot. huge. Where's so, the money going? So, well, it's it's it was going to a lot of things to help schools um, with, you know, a lot with um, like teleschool choices right. because a lot of the rural schools didn't have ways for kids to attend school online. So that was really great to do. And, um, you know, a lot of health related things, a lot of sanitation issues okay. you know, being fixed in schools. But we started to ask, you know, why, if, if COVID is so deadly and masks are so necessary, why aren't there any OSHA regulated hazmat bins in schools? Right. Something's up with this. It can't be about health and safety like they're telling us. So we looked into the um, ESSER 3 money, which is the most schools are given. Okay. And we found that Tennessee had to submit a district plan. And not only Tennessee, we discovered that every state submitted their district plan. Our commissioner of education, Penny Schwinn, submitted our plan. It was approved by Miguel Cardona, the secretary of education up in the swamp. And um, this plan is something that schools have to submit every six months through September of 2023. And they have to prove how they are universally masking children. Find this online and look for it in your state and go to the requirements. To get this money, they have to do these things. Universal and correct wearing of masks. Okay. Physical distancing, hand washing, cleaning, ventilation, contact tracing, quarantines, isolation, and the last, second to last on the list is vaccinations. This is why they're getting the money to so, so when we're standing there as parents, so when we're standing there as parents at these school board meetings and saying, "Get the mask off my kid," they're getting rashes on their face. My kid's depressed. They haven't seen their teacher smile. They're not interacting socially. I see them failing, and we just see those blank stares because that school yeah. board knows I'm not going to turn down. What is it, ten million dollars or fifteen million dollars oh. to listen to you? Much more than that. <laughs> really? In Tennessee, in Tennessee, Shelby County, Memphis, Shelby yeah. County gets almost three quarters of a billion dollars in COVID relief funds. For, for yeah. education, Davidson, just to the schools? Yeah, to the school system, Shelby County school systems. Hundreds the Nashville of Public of Schools. Nashville Public Schools is a half a billion dollars in COVID relief funds. But to get that money, they have to prove how they are fulfilling these requirements. Universal masking, contact tracing, isolation, quarantine, vaccinations for all students. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and stop it there for a second, and, and so we can we can talk about that a bit. Um, first of all, I don't yet know where. I haven't had time to figure out where to direct people to find this information in their state. Do you have any idea, Javier, where to even begin looking for this? No, and again, we have to go and. Uh, basically re-review the high wire to find out how these and basically reach out to the folks in Tennessee, how yeah. they figured it out 
Um, it should be part yeah. of the budget for the schools. It should be part of the uh, the requests yeah. and the poly and the basically the, the the programs that these schools put out every um, every six months uh, to get these funds. But what what I find amazing is that. Um, there is no requirement to verify that it works. It's just a requirement to show that, oh, you are masking, yeah. you are contact tracing. We right. don't care about the outcomes. We just no. care about that you're doing these things, period. Right. You know, that really reminds me of the the problem with the pediatric vaccine yeah. um, program and why I love Dr. Paul Thomas so much because – well, the, the CDC and all of the powers that be and that that all the infrastructure that says that you have to vaccinate, that's how we're going to measure what you're doing is how many vaccines you inject. Dr. Paul Thomas had his his the practice analyzed and looked at the health outcomes of his um, young patients and found that the fewer vaccines the child was exposed to, the healthier overall the child was right? So systemically, this has always been a problem. The, the government has always been bad about putting something in place because they think it will do a public good and then achieving that thing without looking at outcomes. You know, it, it be, everything becomes sustaining um, the program, Yes. Instead of seeing if the program's necessary, Correct. so many people begin to make money on the program and that makes it difficult to get rid of. But yeah, so we need to investigate what I love about my little town here in Tennessee is the woman that I had met up with um, at this meeting and we were going to start looking into, I texted her and said, Hey, did you, have you heard of the high wire, which she hadn't yet. So I sent her to this and she says, Oh, um, I know that gal. I can contact her. Oh my God, um, she had she had at least had her contact information. I'm going to reach out to her. So um, definitely. So when I get more information, I'll pass it on to you, and we'll pass Thank it you. on to listeners. But I'm hoping that you know, even between this show and next Friday, some of our savvy listeners will have contacted us in their state and told us where the information is so we yes. can start empowering people. So you guys all have your assignment now. Do your homework. Um, and, and, uh, to try to find out where the information is, uh, do you want to watch a little bit more or, or you I, know? you know what this is, this is your show, Bernadette. Yeah, no, it's our no. show. It, um, it's our show. It's really fascinating. What it is, what I'm, um, what I might mm -hmm. want to get into, I mean, I encourage people to go watch the whole high wire. Don't, um, I'm going to see where it is. I'm going to go ahead and share again. If you'll, if you'll bear with Absolutely, me here yes. and go like this and make sure I've got the audio shared, um, Chrome tab, share audio high wire, and let's go. Um, I'm just going to listen a little bit more than I, and then I might uh, speed up a bit because she's going to go on to the reimbursements for COVID patients in hospitals, and it's going to blow you away. Staff and teachers, they to get that money, they have to fulfill those requirements. That's what we discovered, and every state is doing it. So we want parents to stop going before school boards and crying and begging them to release their kids from masks. Just stop it, okay? Find this information in your state. Contact us and we'll help you. We'll point you in the direction to find okay. this information. Take this in front of your school boards and confront them. 
Ask them, how much money are you taking from the federal government to commit this, this egregious, tyrannical behavior on our kids? And if they don't know, tell them how much it is and tell them to give that money back. Fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, this is something that I suspected. I suspected that this was going on. There's got to be a payoff that's going on here because it doesn't make sense. These school boards aren't acting naturally. Uh, and they don't seem to care. And so that is huge. Hundreds of millions of dollars just in one school district there. And, and you're saying that's happening all around the world. Of course, they're not going to walk away from it. So, so, so when, as parents, no, no. we got to recognize, like, you got to know your enemy, right? Your enemy is money. Right now, you are asking your school board, when you're thinking it's just about a mask and whether they care about your kids, they're not going to walk away from hundreds of millions of dollars that are coming again. Here's all of that's Tennessee. Right. All right, look at that. Look at these are the numbers yep. as they break down uh, billions, literally billions of dollars being funded to imprison your child, to socially distance them, to shut down the school or make them wear masks. All of that is being funded against you by your president, by our administration, and probably more specifically, a lot of this comes out of the NIH and the FDA, CDC, all these. Mm -hmm. So Tony Fauci is probably behind a huge part of this and those that re you know represent that. This is how a small group of people infect and make everybody evil. They force them into it by funding them, giving them the biggest carrot known to man. So how does this translate? The, or, you know, it, when I, we're, I started by talking about hospitals and we're seeing this incredibly, almost like planned out death rate. Um, we've talked about some of the funding, Did you, you know, you decided to sort of get into hospitals too, right? Yeah, Tennessee Liberty Network, about the time that uh, we finished wrapping up our deep dive on the education money, um, we started getting calls from people looking for help because they had loved ones in hospitals that were dying. And we, we started, first we started looking at, at the cases in Tennessee. And to date, we've lost about 20,880 people in, in Tennessee in hospitals. These people aren't dying at home right. from COVID. They're dying in our hospitals. So we started looking into that and tracking the money from the, um, the ARP Act as well. And then we figured that um, there had to be more than just the ARP. And so our research has led us to um, discovering that the CMS is also heavily involved in funding hospitals and these deadly protocols. And so we, we confront these hospitals daily now. Mm -hmm. We formed another organization called The Atom Group. And we have a website, theatomgroup.net. Thank okay, you. Great. There it is. And, um, and our goal is to educate people on how to prevent COVID because it is preventable. Right. And how to treat COVID at home because it can be treated at home without going to a hospital. Our goal... The number one goal is to keep people out of hospitals because we know from experience what happens there. And the advocacy work that we do with people who are in hospitals, it, it's, it's the stuff of nightmares. It's nightmares. In Tennessee, Tennessee hospitals get $166,000 for every COVID patient in a hospital. What? $166,000. I mean, I remember. West Virginia. I, well, hold on though. One hundred sixty-six thousand dollars. I'm trying to wrap my head around that because I remember we've talked about, you know, early on. It seemed like there was like thirteen thousand dollars to be diagnosed with COVID. I remember something like twenty-six thousand being reported, and 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 Scott Jensen, um, uh, who I believe is running for Senate, uh, risked his is is oh actually I think he's running for governor. Governor, I mean, 
um, uh, up in Minnesota. But he came out and said, we're being incentivized here, folks, to take anyone we can and make them a COVID patient and then to put them on a ventilator. And so those numbers were like 13,000, 26,000. But you're saying, oh, my God. So these are other states. Nebraska is getting yeah. 379,000 per COVID patient in the hospital. West Virginia, yeah. 471,000. 339,000 North Dakota. So what do they have to do to get that money for that patient? They have to follow the NIH protocol for the treatment of COVID in hospitals. And they will tell you, oh, we don't follow NIH guidelines. We follow the CDC guidelines for inpatient treatment of COVID in hospitals. But if you go to the CDC website, yeah. it points you right to this document right here, the NIH protocols. So CDC, the they say, no, we go to CDC, but that puts you back to NIH. It was, it was right, really actually right. Charged. It'll point you right back to the NIH. It's right there on their website. There's a link that says, this is the protocol that we follow, the CDC, and it right. takes you right to the NIH website. There's a link there. So, so they can try to obfuscate and point you in another direction, but it all leads back to those NIH protocols that in those protocols, the only approved EAU drugs for the use uh, for use in hospitals for COVID starts with remdesivir. Right. And the reason why other countries don't have the death rates we do is because the United States for the whole year of 2021 was the only country that was allowed to use remdesivir. Wow, Fauci lucky and us, team lucky bought, us. Yeah. I know they bought I mean, it all a, up. A failed, as I put it. it out, and if you're brand new, a failed Ebola drug that was so toxic, they said you're better off with Ebola. We're pulling it out of this trial, right? Uh, but oh, hey, let's use it for a really bad cold to give it to everybody. And 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 when I think about this, right? We send people in the hospitals. We once they get there, I mean, first we send you home if you don't have low enough oxygen levels, because for the first time in history, early treatment is not the answer. Go home, get more sick. Then come back to us when your lips are blue. We put you on so a ventilator. We, we give you remdesivir. What's remdesivir? Shuts down your kidneys, which fills your lungs mm -hmm. with water. Now we say you're dying of pneumonia. It's actually a side effect of remdesivir. And boom, perfect line of deaths of everybody walking in the yeah. hospitals. Well done. Remdesivir are they incentivizing it though? Are they incent Beyond that, do you get paid in any way? Like the ventilators or yeah. things like that that we, we're talking about? Yeah, I think uh, Dr. Jensen said it earlier on your show, um, $39,000 for every COVID patient on a vent. They right. get paid, hospitals get paid a fortune just on these faulty PCR tests. They get the test for free. The government pays every time they administer a test. They pay for every positive test. They pay for every test that results in uh, in a hospitalization. So they make a fortune just off the faulty tests alone. Then they get paid for every COVID patient, the $166,000 in Tennessee. And then they get $39,000 for every COVID patient on a vent. Plus there's a 20% bonus add-on, which is a weird thing to call something when you're murdering people um, for, there you go, 20% for using um, remdesivir and, um, and the ventilators. And the, and the CMS is responsible for that. That's the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare. They've got their hands, all their fingerprints are everywhere all over extra payments to hospitals for killing people. But here's what I wanna point out about the NIH yeah. protocol, because people are going to court begging for the use of, of ivermectin and HCQ. Yeah. If you go to the NIH protocols and you read those, those protocols, believe me, we've read them cover to yeah. cover and it's a big document, but there's very valuable information in there because ivermectin is actually listed as number four 
in that possible document. treatments or usable but, treatments for it, right? Right, it's in the NIH protocols, but the FDA has not given ivermectin an EAU approval to be used for the treatment of COVID in hospitals. It's in there, but remdesivir and those covered countermeasures yeah. like remdesivir and the ventilators are the only ones that are covered under the EUA for use in hospitals. Wow. And if you want to throw one more wrench in the spokes, the PrEP Act. The PrEP Act protects all the hospitals and doctors from full liability um, from for, killing for you with products injury. that don't work, right? Yeah, for injury, uh, even death. They're completely yeah. protected, but not if they use ivermectin. It's only for the covered countermeasures, and that's remdesivir and ventilator. Yeah, I'll go ahead and, and stop it there. It's just fascinating, isn't it? Um, the amount of money is staggering. Can you imagine three hundred dollars or $400,000 per patient? But... And I love the way she explained it so thoroughly that, yes, the NIH does list ivermectin, and they have a neutral stance on ivermectin. But because the FDA has not given it emergency authorization, authorization approval, it's not a covered countermeasure. And the hospitals right. want that umbrella shield, right? And it, so that is like... You know, I mean, hospitals are paranoid about anything that they might be liable for. So, wow. I mean, this woman, she's my she's my new hero. I just she love really her. Is. <laughs> and and her amazing. whole team, she's in my new home state. So I look forward someday to meeting her, shaking her hand. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, you know, so we have got to share that information because we need teams in every state looking at yes. what's going on and then figuring out how to stop it, how to, because it really is murdering people to put them on these, this drug that yes. is known to cause all these, <laughs> these issues and the, and the vents we knew. Remember the ER doctor in New York in spring of, of 2020 who, oh, yeah. on, and he was pleading. He said, guys, the vents not working. It's working. That's not, it's that's not the symptom, you know, it's not the right tool for what they're experiencing. Yeah. And they're still ventilating patients. And, you know, uh, this one doctor, or at least a couple of other um, uh, researchers reached out to uh, former heads of, um, of uh, or CEOs of hospital systems. And they asked him, what's your death rate once you're on a vent? And they go, oh, it's, you know, minimum 25% up to 40%. Once mm -hmm. you go on a vent, it's almost guaranteed. It's like it's flip a coin. Yeah. So they know right. they know that ventilators are the least likely to help. And they've been pushing people to get on ventilators. And they're basically providing, like you said, <coughs> excuse me, legal cover mm -hmm. to do this. Mm -hmm. And there's legal cover for it. But mm -hmm. again, here's the thing. It's legal, legal cover for the hospital. Mm -hmm. Nurses and practitioners that apply yeah. this might not be covered under this. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the truth has been revealed and now, now we get to figure out what to do about it. And in the meantime, I want to remind everybody of the advice that we've passed on many times and it's still important. You still got to act. Everybody needs right now when you're not sick to go seek out a healthcare provider near you who knows about the early treatment protocols, who knows about the effective um, nutrient preventative protocols, um, you know, who, who knows, I mean, you might want to ask, have this questionnaire, can Listerine prevent COVID, right? 
And if they understand that there are studies out there showing that if you gargle with Listerine or with a, um, an iodine solution, and especially if you do the nasal flush, it kills the SARS-CoV-2 where it replicates, that there are great studies showing that by day five, even if you have active COVID, by day five, you can't measure the the virus anymore. Um, So anyway, go find that Mm -hmm. practitioner so that you've got somebody in your corner ready to support you at home should you need it because we don't you know we give you medical information but not medical advice you need a trusted healthcare provider in your corner and then build your covid kit you know yes everybody needs day one of symptoms even though this new one going around seems to be very very mild for most people if you're not the person for whom you're the most people you know if you're the exception to the rule you need that kit on hand so you can start day one and then have that practitioner on speed dial to call that trusted healthcare practitioner. They're, they're hard to find because they have to keep their heads down because everybody's being punished if they're standing up and speaking the truth. Um, but ask your friends, ask your neighbors, um, you know, see who you can find. And, um, and luckily, um, Javier, a lot of the, the great, <laughs> Excuse me. We both got that little cough. Mine's almost better. Oh yeah. Years since I just starting. <clears throat> um, uh, organizations like the America's Frontline Doctors and other organizations are they're pulling together. They're beginning to open clinics. They're looking at ways to start a network yes. of healthcare that really puts patients first. It's not profit over patient health that's not tied to all these incentives and everything and so that's exciting that's exciting that um we're starting to see um see all that happen and see truth come out absolutely no question about it yeah so i do encourage everybody to go watch the most recent episode of the high wire figure out what the information is in your state and, and let's start to make some noise and, and shake things up. Um, I got to figure out how to do that here in, in my home state, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because you're in what I would call a state of tyranny in Washington yes. with what's correct. going on. Um, <clears throat> and comparatively very free here in Tennessee. There's been some great legislation passed that's protective. However, it is not immune correct. to yeah. the federal pressures or from the private company pressures, and it's not completely immune from the propaganda that sure, saturates. Yeah. Um, you're not seeing everybody masked up here. Uh, vaccine rates are relatively low compared to, say, Washington State. Um, but I tell you, I was in my neighborhood Walmart the other day, and there was a little girl screaming. No, no, take that away. I don't want that. She was getting the shot. And I mean, there's nothing I could do. I'm standing there with my heart breaking, knowing that this child is not susceptible to severe COVID, knowing all I know about the risk of blood clots and myocarditis and everything else from these shots, knowing yep. that these what's being revealed about the Pfizer trials is is showing there was a lot of fraud that was happening and a lot was not revealed. Yes. 
And yeah. also the the fact that there's a bad batches in Pfizer and Moderna, they call mm -hmm. them bad batches. We don't know exactly what it is, but if there are bad batches, that's already a huge, huge red flag telling that the CDC and the FDA basically say, we have to shut this down because right. you can't even guarantee good manufacturing practices. Right. If you right. have bad batches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But they're bad not batches anything of anything else. You get a bad bag of lettuce. They shut down all the lettuce coming from that area, anything packed, you know, I mean, everything else they will shut yeah. down. That's they the power of money and greed. That's kind of been the theme of this, this episode. This hasn't show. It? Exactly. Yeah. Here's the thing. The thing is, you know, you have to rely on networks outside of government agencies, state mm -hmm. agencies. You mm -hmm. have to start relying on your neighbors. You have to start relying on, um, on information that is given freely mm -hmm. and is not coercive and rings true and that you can verify for yourself. Yeah. Everything that Pfizer has done, everything that Moderna has done has been an attempt to hide evidence, to lie to the public, mm -hmm. to not reveal information about how the product is made and what it contains. Yeah. And to basically hide behind the shield, the legal shields that they've gotten over the decades Mm -hmm. to not reveal any information about the side effects that are occurring right now. That is yep. not responsible manufacturing. That is not responsible governance. Ab absolutely. And <laughs> I'm more angry at the governance, you know. Um, the good news is that a judge has given the FDA eight months, not 75 years, but eight months to produce the Pfizer clinical trial safety data. So they have to release it like 550,000 pages a month. Yep. Um, and so a lot of truths are going to be coming out. And then, you know, this needs to happen with Moderna. <laughs> now, do you know if that can be requested at this stage or is there something unique about the fact that Pfizer supposedly was given uh, licensing for no, no but it can all be it all should be revealed now okay so yeah. right now if uh, moderna has uh, an application uh in at the fda pfizer was the first one to basically get uh, uh authorization and uh, yeah. they've gotten approval to submit their bla they haven't been approved I don't care how many people say, oh, no, but FDA approved it. No, they've gotten approval to submit their the biological license uh, uh, agreement. They have no approval. And even if they say Cominardi is approved, you have to read the fine print on that. Cominardi is never going to get into the United States until it is part of the child schedule. That is the entire plan for Pfizer. Yeah, and that's why they're pushing so very hard to get it on, um, to get it to kids. And why, yes. like, the Board of Health in Washington State is working to, or some of them, I, I don't, I, I honestly don't think the entire board is on with this. Um, I might be reading things wrong, but I don't think the whole board is on board. We'll see. We'll see on January 12th what what kind of conversation happens regarding the our petition to yes. not allow the mandate to happen. Um, we did submit today a very lengthy um, sort of our feedback to the criteria that the Board of Health uses to evaluate, they say to evaluate antigens, which actually doesn't make much sense. It makes um, no sense. No. <laughs> 
you need to evaluate the products on the market that parents Correct. would have to choose in order to comply with your mandate. So, <clears throat> and, you know, and we let them know that this is just a little bit of the information out there. I think we submitted like, it was like 27 pages um, total that we submitted. And a lot of it was just a links to more information and it's just the tip of the iceberg, but um, yeah. Anyway, just really hoping and praying that uh, that something comes up. But you're right. The, the point here is that they're not going to bring a licensed vaccine to the market, to the public. They're not going to remove it from the PrEP Act. And I believe even a licensed yeah. vaccine is covered by the PrEP Act as long, PrEP Act, as, long as it's considered a covered countermeasure, which yeah. I believe they are saying it is. But they want to move it from one shield to the other. You know, as quickly as possible, as quickly as possible. Um, and it's just, it's just sickening. It's, it really is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm just flabbergasted that the board of health is actually convening uh, a tag when they don't even, they haven't even completed the clinical trials. Yeah. And again, the, what is even more shocking is that under the EUA, it's the totality of scientific evidence that has to be looked at. Mm -hmm. That is, that is part and parcel of the requirement. And even if it wasn't, that is part and parcel of the responsibility mm -hmm. of the Department of Health and the Board of Health to review. You yeah. cannot ignore information that runs counter to a, to a narrative that's been set up. That is not responsible science or responsible medicine. Exactly. So, uh, you know, if the Board of Health is listening, be aware that VAERS exists for a reason, and it is an underreporting system, and mm -hmm. you need to make adjustments and corrections for it to get the true number. And if you think that, you know, myocarditis is a rare event, think again, you can't make the claim that vaccines don't cause injury when mm -hmm. you haven't done the autopsies, when you haven't done the analyses. Yes. You don't just review medical records. You view the totality of the evidence. And if you mm -hmm. haven't done the autopsies, guess what? You can't make the claim that it's safe and effective. No. You can't claim that it wasn't caused by the vaccine. You it, have exactly. to be honest. Yeah. And I would I would encourage the Board of Health to reach out to, um, you know, uh, some of the state epidemiologists. There's one in particular um, who does excellent work, very yes. honest work. And she presented to a uh, vaccine advisory committee meeting. It's been quite a while now. It was last year sometime, um, but was looking at myocarditis. And she found some reports in VAERS, but found many other cases outside of theirs that had not yet been right. reported or maybe they still aren't reported <clears throat> but ask um ask the state to actually do a thorough job of researching myocarditis cases in the state to see what the true numbers are and for that you yeah. have to actually see what's being reported at the hospital level at the physician Correct. level yeah and um and that work needs to be done um and like we were saying earlier, if, if all they're going to do is be yes men to the CDC and to the FDA and the NIH and not yeah. challenge, what good are they in this no, They're not doing their jobs. They're failing in their duty. They're failing and in that, their duty. And that yeah. is actually a, a, a punishable offense. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's really hard to say because in 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 the United States today, it seems as if the law is not what's on the books, but whatever there is the political will to enforce. 
And right now, there doesn't seem to be any political will in many areas, not all areas, but many areas of the country to not enforce the law. Um, there's just too many yes. pressures, outside pressures, global, pharmaceutical, um, financial, political, arm twisting kind of stuff going on. Absolutely. You know, no. um, there's no other way of explaining it. No other really way to isn't. explain it. No. Um, there was something else I wanted to talk to you about. Oh, wait, you had something. I, I've been hogging oh. the covers. You had something you wanted mm. to bring up. Let's, what was oh, that? No, I, Basically, you know, uh, if most, probably most people that listen to, to an informed life radio know about uh, Reiner Fulmich. He's a, he's an American German lawyer uh, that went up against uh, Deutsche Bank and VW and won cases against mm -hmm. both these large, you know, international corporations um, and basically uh, took a hand in destroying Deutsche Bank and showing it to be for the, uh, the criminal organization that it was. And he, um, you know, has been active in uh, interviewing and collecting information globally from researchers, from doctors, from other lawyers uh, that he's going to use to uh, try cases in Germany uh, against all the corona measures, all the, uh, especially the PCR manufacturer, uh, the uh, Corman-Drosten uh, PCR test is what it's called, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Corman was the uh, lead investigator that helped to develop the PCR test, and he made uh, several false claims, uh, legally false claims, that they're going after him for. But Corman, the, the PCR test that Corman developed is the basis for all PCR tests used to detect SARS-CoV-2, and they were designed to produce incredibly high levels of false positive tests. Wow. Wow. And one of and that's one of the reasons, you know, that it, it got, and then, you know, Corman was funded, of course, by your usual suspects. Yeah. World Health <laughs> okay. Organization, yeah. Gavi, Bill Gates, uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates <laughs> Foundation uh, to develop these tests. And here's yeah. the kicker. Corman never used um, whole virus. He used a sequence that was sent to him from uh, the Chinese uh, Wuhan uh, laboratory of just digital information. Wow. So it was able to, you know, basically uh, oh, we create got 30 a, seconds. A, oh, <laughs> we got you know, basically, you know, use that digital information to then create his PCR test. So wow. there is no gold standard. And again, all these tests are under EUA and we've got to fight, yeah. right? Got to fight. Yeah. You bring us more information on that next week. Um, this has been a great show. Everybody have a good, healthy, informed weekend. Stay strong. You're listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM, KKNW, and CHD TV. We'll be back next week. Bye now. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. 
It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.